0: Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works that anyone should boast. It's a gift from God. And grace is a gift from God. We're still talking about the new year a little bit this week. Last week, we talked about something that we don't want to have more of in the new year, and that's worry. Amen? Yeah, we want less worry in 2022. This morning, I'd like to talk about something that we need more of in 2022, and that would be grace. Less worry, more grace in 2022. John Ortberg would say "Grace alone," which is cool, because once you figure out you have grace, it's all you need. My question is, what are the other things we're chasing in 2022? Because we're chasing a lot of stuff, aren't we? We really are, frantically. One of the things we chase is success. Everybody wants success. now, uh, probably the most um, famous success story in recent times is Steve Jobs, right? I mean, that guy was absolutely amazing. He, uh, his legacy includes, I had to write it all down, Mac computers, Apple stores, Pixar studios, the iPhone, the iPod, the iTunes, and the iPad. He changed the way we look at music. He changed the way we look at technology. He made technology fun for the kids and easy to use for dummies like me. The guy changed things for sure. In fact, when he passed away in 2011, can you imagine it's been that long? The uh, New Yorker did a, a kind of a cover story. Uh, it was kind of clever. He was standing at the pearly gates with Peter, uh, Steve Jobs was. And instead of looking at the book of life, Peter was looking at the iPad of life. It was kind of neat. And then one of the columnists that same week was talking about the impact he made. And he said just 10 years before this, we have Johnny Cash, we had Bob Hope, and we had Steve Jobs. Today we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. But this was an inventor or a co-inventor of a record of like 340 patents. I mean, I don't think it's an understatement to say this guy changed the world. You know, in the 19th century, the American dream was that any kid could grow up on a small farm in a log cabin and become president of the United States. Today, the American dream is any kid can start a business in his parents' garage and change the world with it. He changed everything. But the question becomes how much success is enough? How much of that you got to chase this year? Let's say, let's say for, uh, just for argument that Steve Jobs sets the bar. So show of hands, how many of you in here started a legendary organization that at one point surpassed XI mobile for the most valuable company on the planet? No, liar, (laughs) you crazy kid. You're a crazy kid. How many of you were $7 billion? How many of you were named CEO of the decade? Look around, man. With the exception of one little lion kid, you're all losers. You know what I mean? A bunch of losers. No, I mean, the thing is, we're not all Steve Jobs for sure. But we're all chasing success. Am I right? I mean, just think about it. When you go down to buy a new house, you go to the bank, and you ask how much you can possibly borrow to buy a house. So you can get the biggest house you can possibly afford and then spend your whole life working hours, trying to pay it off. It's our success story, right? We overschedule our kids. I'm talking about those babies that we mentioned last week that should be cause for us to rejoice in the day, every day. We overschedule them. We overpractice them with sports, private lessons, private tutors, private uh, classes. Why? So we can get them into best college. Why? So they can make the most money. Why? So they can have the biggest 401Ks. Because if our kids are not the biggest, the brightest, and the best, how in the world else are we going to measure our success? Hmm. Chasing it, aren't we? How much success is enough success? Proverbs 21.30 reads, There's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 reads, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed how much success you want next year? How about wins? Everybody likes to win. We're in the NFL playoff season again uh, this year without the Colts, sadly. But you can't think about the history of the NFL, I think, without thinking about Al Davis. Al Davis was a kid that grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and he wasn't really extremely talented, but by sheer tenacity, he became the head coach and the general manager of the Oakland Raiders. Los Angeles Raiders. Now by the way, how many Los Angeles how many wins do the Los Angeles Raiders need to get into the playoffs? One more than the Colts obviously, okay? But it, Al Davis, man, his commitment to success and winning was his motto was just win, baby. And through sheer tenacity, he became the owner of the Oakland Raiders. He set the standard. He willed the Raiders to five Super Bowls. He achieved so much popularity that there was a group of people across the United States that called themselves the Raider Nation. They still do to this day. The guy was amazing. And nobody had to wonder who was in charge and where the buck stopped with Al Davis. One of the young uh, players asked him one time, who does the hiring coach for the Raiders? He said, son, make no mistake about it. I do the hiring. I do the firing. I decide how many wastebaskets are in this office. The buck stops here. He didn't back down anybody. He sued the NFL so he could move the Raiders from Oakland to Los Angeles, and he won. And then he sued them again so he could move from Los Angeles back to Oakland. He was a a feisty, hardworking winner. And again, it makes you wonder, how many wins do you have to have in your life to be successful? How many? Well, we don't know, so let's set the bar with Al Davis. Don't lie to me this time. Raise your hand if you've won at least three Super Bowls. Raise your hand if you've made a record amount of presentations in the Hall of Fame and are a member of the Hall of Fame. Raise your hand if you have a whole group of people across the country that call themselves the You Nation. Yeah, here's what Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind those around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then, listen to this, then you will win. You will win favor and good name in the sight of men and God. How many wins do you think you need in 2022? How much talent? Everybody's chasing talent. Everybody's practicing, trying to become better. There's nothing wrong with that. But how much talent did you need? Anybody in here ever hear of Roger Williams? Probably not. He's a great pianist. He passed away not too long ago. Uh, I know you're all familiar with the Hollywood Walk of Fame. If you hit it big in entertainment, you get a little star on the sidewalk in Hollywood, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, Roger Williams was the first pianist to ever get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He started playing a piano when he was three years old. They said by the time he was nine, he was a prodigy. He, He could play anything by ear. He got into Juilliard on a scholarship and became what they called the pianist to the president. Starting with Harry Truman, he played for nine consecutive presidents of the United States. He's the only pianist to ever have a number one on the Billboard charts, Autumn Leaves. The guy was amazing. He had 18 platinum records. Now, for you young people, records were a little around things. We used to put music on. It was a great technology. He had 18 platinum. And, by the way, he won a boxing championship in the Navy in World War II. a lot of talent. How much talent do you need? There's the bar again. How many of you took piano lessons? How many of you quit before you got on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, (laughs) played for nine presidents, had 18 platinum records, made the billboard charts, won a boxing championship? Here's what Solomon says about talent. Ecclesiastes 221, a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, talent, and skill, and then he's gotta leave all he owns to somebody else who didn't work for it. Meaningless, he says, meaningless. One more. How about attractiveness? Boy, we go after that one, don't we? Spend a lot of money trying to look good. I mean, just walk down the beauty aisle at Walmart. You can spend hundreds of dollars on shampoo. I don't know how many different toothpastes they have? I mean, it's amazing. Not to mention Botox and BoFlex and all the stuff you can do to try to look good, to look attractive. Uh, people magazine do you know who they named the sexiest man of the year in 2021 anybody know paul rudd paul rudd that's ant man now i have never voted for the sexiest man alive but if i did it wouldn't have been paul rudd you know what i'm talking about our our sense of attractiveness has changed over years i'll tell you what else has changed when it comes to the attractive department when, when you're young and you look good people might say you look good Trust me, when you start getting a little older, people might say you look good, but they add a phrase to it. You know what it is? Yeah, you look good for your age. The idea is, Jim Kane, you might look good, but not just look good. You, you look good in comparison, you know, in, in terms of your flab and your rot and your wrinkles and your varicose veins and your liver spots. You're deteriorating a little less than some of the people your same age. So you look good for your age in comparison to the other people that are dying around you. You know what I mean? How much attractiveness do we need? How many of you in here have been voted the sexiest man or woman alive by a national magazine? Hmm. Here's what the Bible says about that, Second Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord doesn't look at the thing man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Family, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God. You don't have to be any more successful. You don't have to have any more wins. You don't have to be any more talented. You don't have to be any better looking. It's a gift from God. It's amazing. Now, by definition, the word grace means unmerited favor. But we kind of live in a boasty world right now, don't we? I mean, we really do. And we like the concept of grace, but it kind of sticks in the crawl a little bit. Because most of us in here like to think we work really hard for what we got. And we don't owe anybody anything. Most of us in here like to think we have worked hard and earned everything we owe. That's laughable. It's a gift from God. Grace is a gift from God. In the ancient Greek world, they used the word uh, grace to describe a beggar. Somebody who had nothing, could never get anything, could do anything, could do nothing to get anything. And somebody would come along and give them something. That was grace. And that's what God has done for us. It's a choice. God has accepted us and embraced us and loved us and welcomed us into His family all through Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us, called us righteous. This is why I preach. We've been forgiven all sin, the Bible says. That's past, present, and future. That's all we need, and that's all we need to go after in 2022. But you've got to wonder what grace would say to those of us who are chasing all those other things. What would grace say to people who chase success with all they have and chase wins and chase talent and chase attractiveness? I think, number one, grace would say, Stop it. Stop it. You, you don't need to be any more successful. You don't need any more wins. You don't need more talent. You need to be better looking. Now, I think grace would tell us, Look, it's not bad to be successful. Nothing wrong with that. It's not bad to win. It's not bad to have talent. It's not bad to be good-looking. God has used those things over and over again for His glory, but they cannot save you. (laughs) They will not save you. You're saved by grace. I think grace would tell us that when we chase those things, it looks a little bit like idolatry to Him. Because sometimes we wrap our happiness or our sadness based on how much of those things we have. I think on top of that, grace would tell us That when we seek those things, it causes us to live life at a frantic pace and we miss what we talked about last week, today's moment. It also causes us to neglect the things that are really important, like seeking God and learning to serve and learning to love and learning to become more like Jesus Christ. That's what grace would say about all these chasing things that we do. Now, the alternative to grace in the Old Testament in the Bible is called salvation by works. That's where we pull ourselves with our bootstraps. You know what I mean? I mean, I can stop drinking on my own. I can quit cussing on my own. I can stop this lusting business. I don't drink. Listen, I don't need any of that stuff because I'm not a bad person anyway. Grace would say that. Grace would tell you, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You need me. You need Jesus. There's something broken inside of you. Now, I'll tell you something else about grace. I think Christians that we've been at this a while, if we're not careful, sometimes we take advantage of grace. Because we know we're saved, and so we think we can live any way we want to. Grace would not be soft on sin either. You know what I mean? Grace doesn't give you a pass on that. Because grace, even though it's free, is not cheap. It costs Jesus everything. And and so number two, I think grace would say, you know that feeling, that uneasy feeling you have in your heart right now because of something going on that you know is not right between you and God? I, I think grace would say, pay attention to that. Don't, don't try to sweep that under the rug. Don't try to paper over it. Pay attention and understand we need the Lord on this. We need the Holy Spirit that we just sang about on this. And, and, and the sin issue in our life. Because listen to me. The grace that we have through Jesus is a whole lot more than just getting us into heaven when we die. It's about changing our life right now so that we become more like Jesus. So heaven's not quite a shock when we get there because we have things broken in us sin breaks us man it it causes us to be upset with each other it causes us to be upset with God and people around us grace says I'd like to stop that I kept it listen we got the sin issue and it starts very early a couple was telling about they've got a four-year-old strong-willed child anybody ever have a strong-willed child in their house or grandchild well anyway Shauna's her name And Shauna loves to ride her trike. They live in a neighborhood. But she goes way out of bounds with it. So her mom said, Shauna, four years old now. She said, Shauna, here's the tree. And here's this tree. And here's our driveway. You can go from this tree to that way, up and down the driveway. If you go beyond any one of those places, I'm going to spank you. I'm going to go in the house. And I'm going to watch you through the window. And if you go beyond any one of these boundaries, there will be a spanking. She wasn't intimidated at all. She said she backed up to her mommy. Stuck her hiney out and pointed at it and said, you better start spanking because i got places to go. Four years old. Family, that's our heart. That's who we are on the inside. We're really all about us. I want my kingdom come, not yours. I want to do what I want to do. And I think the problem is, Grace wants to help us change that. I think the problem is, we've gotten used to the dark you know, you go in a restaurant, it's a sunny day outside, and you go in, you sit down, you grab the menu, and you're trying to read it, you can't, because if you just sit there a few minutes, and your eyes adjust, and you get used to the dark, and you can read it. That's what's happened to us. I was thinking Friday when I was writing this thing up, some of the sitcoms that we watch today, some of the stuff that are on them, the words, the, the lifestyles, the sin that they're promoting and throwing in our face that we laugh at and enjoy and watch those things, gotten used to the dark, Christians. Some of the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the websites we visit, and our culture, we're used to it. We're used to injustice and poverty and violence and abuse and apathy. Grace says, you've got to stop that. you got to change that. Grace would remind us that we might get used to it, but God never gets used to it. God's standard never changes. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. If you want to hang out with him, you have to be that. And look, it's, it's not because God's severe. It's not because God's unenlightened. It's not because God's not grown up with the times. It's not because he's not politically correct. It's because God is holy and right. And grace says, why don't you let me come alongside of you and get you to a place where you can spend more time with God? Then when you get to heaven, it won't be quite the shock. Well, we changed. I think... Grace would say I can help with that. I did some spiritual surgery on myself last Thursday. And it wasn't real pleasant, but it's okay. It's good for me. I'm going to read a list to you this morning of stuff. And I want you you to close your eyes if you want, but I want you to listen to this list as I read it slowly and see if there's any place in here that you are broken and you need help with the Holy Spirit of God. Pride. Pride. Ego, judgmentalism, hard heart, apathy towards the poor, greed, envy, lust, unfaithfulness, treating other people as a means to get what I want, a posture of superiority or entitlement, ladder climbing, elitism, racism, deceit. Broken promises, secret cruelty, cowardice, stubbornness, failure to serve, failure to care, failure to encourage others, failure to give, failure to wake up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, Lord God, I get another day, thank you. Joylessness, complaining heart, lovelessness. I think that's enough. Grace says, let me help you. Let me send the Holy Spirit in your heart and start working on some of those things so you can become more Christ-like and enjoy the rich, full life that Jesus wants you to have. One last thing I think Grace would say to us that chasing all these things. I think Grace would say, you can have this acceptance, this love of Jesus, this change, this Holy Spirit inside of you. You can have it today. This very minute in this very room, because the ancient, the agent of change is here. The great physician Jesus is in the building. Some of you know that you've already felt him in here. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, you can have it today. And you don't have to earn it, you don't have to merit it, you don't have to work to keep it. All you got to do is humble yourself and say, Jesus loves me, this I know the Bible tells me so it's a wonderful thing so I preach we've talked about this several times before life is a lot like the game of Monopoly I love Monopoly man I, I just my family will not play Monopoly with me it's been 20 years since anybody played Monopoly with me because I'm ruthless I want to win and I've been known to cheat but I'm nasty man if you won't trade me properties you know So it's been a long time. I'm sure I've mellowed, but I'll never know because nobody will play with me. But Monopoly is, you know, it's like life. You you put the board out, you look it over, and and you you survey it. And the longer you play, the more you understand it. The more you accumulate, you got all kinds of different players. You got the little guy and the little dog and the little iron and all that stuff. So there's people everywhere. And you can play different ways. You know, you can. You know, you can sit across the table from your wife or your girlfriend and she owns three of the railroads and you have the fourth one and she offers to trade you uh, Pennsylvania Avenue and Indiana Avenue so she can have a Monopoly. You can play nice and see the twinkle in her eye where she's, you know, make this worth your while and so you'll trade with her. Or you can be ruthless. No, you're on Pennsylvania Avenue. You owe me cash. I'm not trading. Lots of different ways to play and enjoy the game Monopoly. But, you know, when the game's over, you know the life lesson, right? all goes back in the box all of it houses cars people money it all goes back in the box somebody else gets to play with it and it's the same with us just did a funeral celebration for a good friend yesterday and we reminded each other that every life in here has got a story and every story comes to an end and when your story's over you go in a box in the ground and then they go back to church and eat potato salad you know so, grace says when you get to that point, I'm the only thing that matters. The success, the wins, the talent, the good looks mean absolutely nothing on that day. The only thing that matters then is Jesus Christ. So, we come to the table today to celebrate his broken body and shed blood that made this even possible. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, man, don't take it lightly. Thank him so much for the grace he's given you. Invite the Holy Spirit into your heart to make changes so you can become more like Jesus and and be more ready for heaven when he comes to get us. It's such a wonderful thing. If you're not a Christian today, stop it. Come up here. Let's do this. Let's get this done. It's the only thing that matters. Only one life and then it's past. Only what's done for God will last. I'm sitting right here. Come up and talk to me.